Readers Entertainment Radio presents Booklights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Booklights, where we're shining a light on good books. It's Monday, everyone, and it's August. It's also my birthday today, so, oh my gosh, it's a busy, wonderful day, and I'm so excited to spend it with all of you, and also with our authors, Tess Gerritsen and Gary Braver. So exciting. So, if you guys have not read their new book yet, it's called Choose Me, and it is a hot thriller way up in the rankings on Amazon. You should definitely go grab it today. If you haven't read them before, you're in for a treat, and I'll read their bios here so you can get to know them. So Tess Gerritsen is an internationally best-selling author who took an unusual route to a writing career. A graduate of Stanford University, Tess went on to medical school at the University of California, San Francisco, where she was awarded her MD. On maternity leave from her work as a physician, she began to write fiction. In 1987, her first novel was published, Call After Midnight, a romantic thriller, was followed by eight more romantic suspense novels. She also wrote a screenplay, Adrift, which aired as a 1993 CBS movie of the week starring Kate Jackson who I believe was a Charlie's Angel. Her series of novels featuring homicide detective Jane Rizzoli and medical examiner Mara Isles inspired the TNT television series, television series, I can read, Rizzoli and Isles, starring Andy Harmon and Sasha Alexander. Now retired from medicine, she writes full-time. She's living in Maine, and you can learn more about her on her website. I did put a link right there on the Blog Talk site, so you can click that anytime and check out her website. So many great books there, so definitely go look her up. Next up, we also have the co-author of Choose Me, Gary Braver, is with us today. He's the best-selling and award-winning author of eight critically acclaimed mysteries and thrillers, including Elixir, Gray Matter, and Flashback, which is the only thriller to ever win the prestigious Massachusetts Book Award. He was born and raised in Hartford, Connecticut, and holds a bachelor's degree in physics and a master's and Ph.D. in English. He is super smart, you guys. <laughs> Before settling into college teaching, he worked as a project physicist. He's an avid bicyclist, hiker, and scuba diver, and he lives with his wife outside of Boston. And there's also a link to Gary's website there. You can click that anytime and get to know him. And I don't want to delay anymore. Are you guys both there? You can hear us? We're here. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. All right. Well, who wants to tell us about this book and why everybody should go grab it? Tess, you want to take that? Okay. Well, um, it's a story about a forbidden affair between a college professor and his student, and he's married. So in every way, he is violating uh, a lot of rules. And when she ends up (laughs) dead, the question is, did he kill her? And that's what we wanted to explore. How far would you go to save everything you love and care about? Oh, high stakes. That's one thing I love about thrillers is the very high stakes. <laughs> so, Gary, right. you were a college professor, or you still are, right? Did this one hit a little I close st- to I home when you yep, guys were writing it? it? <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Lisa. I think this... I missed your question there. I'm, yeah, I'm still teaching. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I also asked if this book, writing this book hit a little close to home for you. 
um, <laughs> not personally, but uh, of colleagues. Um, the the um, the academic setting has has been uh, ground for uh, many of the tropes of, uh, of of professors and or teachers having affairs with students, uh, and it goes back to the 12th century. Um, and we oh. just we wanted to you know, pour new wine into an old bottle. Um, at, <laughs> at Northeastern, where I teach, um, it, it is actually forbidden for anyone with any kind of supervisory teaching capacity over a student to, to date, to have a romantic relationship. But years ago, it, was, uh, it, it happened, and people looked the other way. Um, and because of, of t Title IX, I mean, you can get fired if you are engaged with a, a, a student uh, romantically. Um, and the um, but years ago, and years ago, several of my colleagues actually married their students. So what we decided to do is to see if we can come up with a, a, a storyline where a professor who um, is not particularly happy with things at home with his wife um, is attracted to a, a college student who is enthralled by him, and um, then they just engage themselves in a, in a very brief affair. Uh, and uh, things turn really dark after that. As, as Tess said, it, it starts off with um, in the death of the student, and the question is, was it suicide or was it murder? It's about a book that what's the worst that can happen if I make this little mistake, and, yeah, the worst <laughs> happens. <laughs> You're right. right. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Never ask if it could get worse. <laughs> <Right>. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> So I, I wanted to ask you guys about co-authoring. I, I don't know that either one of you has done that before. Can you tell us how you guys got this idea to do this and work together? Yeah, um, neither one of us has co-authored a book before, and uh, I never planned to. But um, we were at a cocktail party at Christmas time in some bookstore near Boston, and Gary and I got to talking about the Me Too movement. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to have that kind of a situation in a book? But because point of view really defines how you see the story, what if a woman wrote the female point of view and a man wrote the male point of view of a Me Too situation? Um, and that's, you know, we both got kind of interested in, well, we'd, we'd, we'd learn a lot not only about how the genders are different when they see this situation, but um, also the point of view tells us about all these other things that are going on in these characters' lives. So um, I got home from that cocktail party, and uh, we had already decided one thing. First of all, it would take place in a university setting because that's, that's where Gary's world is, and it would be easy for him to, to really delve into that, into that milieu. And the other thing we both agreed on is that the college student would, would be dead. She would, she would end up dead. It would be a murder. We'd start off with a murder mystery. Um, but we also wanted to see how far this professor would go. We didn't know who the killer was. I mean, it could have been him, but that was what we started with. Um, and then Gary sent me the first chapter, um, and I thought, well, okay, I guess I, it's time for me to write a chapter. So we, was, we bounced back and forth. He wrote a Jack store, uh, chapter. I wrote a Karen chapter. Um, and I also wrote the point of view of the female detective who comes into the case um, uh, after the girl dies. So that's that's how it all came about. It was us reacting to each other as characters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Right. I yeah. love it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so when you guys were writing this then you didn't you didn't know who the killer was so you didn't plot it out you guys wrote it together without knowing how it was going to turn out were you pantsing this book 
Well, you know, well, Gary and I have different have different uh, techniques. I'm a pantser. I think Gary is more of a plotter. Um, so we had mm-hmm. to both, uh, uh, you know, be a little more <laughs> accommodating to each other's other's uh, techniques. What do you think, Gary? Yeah, um, we got about two halfway or two thirds through, and we knew who the candidates were. We, we, of course, the mystery is always puzzle solving, and you want to be a few steps ahead of your reader. Um, and we had three or four, four or five candidates who possibly could be the villain, um, but we needed to make it credible and not pull a rabbit out of the hat at the end, you know, the butler did it kind of thing. Uh, and right. it would have to be consistent with the psychology of the, of the characters we were developing. Um, and we finally decide who the the killer was, and we went back and adjusted things um, and, and so that all the ducks lined up, and, and at the end uh, the reader says, aha, that makes sense, um, but I didn't see it coming. So... Um, and we adjusted to each other's writing styles and adjusted to each other's suggestions. So that was, and everything was done by email, which is rather amazing. I think we talked once on the phone over a two-year period. Um, but it was accommodating <laughs> each other. So it, it, it worked. It really did. It worked out well. And as Tess said, neither of us has ever collaborated before. So this was a, a, a quite an experiment that I think was, was quite successful. Well, I think what's also interesting is that when we were setting up the psychology of, of these various <clears throat> characters, um, other, there are other people who could who could certainly have have committed this murder. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, it could actually have been a suicide. I think that Taryn, the way she's set up and the way her, her personality is, she she could easily have committed suicide um, in a way to to fight back um, to punish somebody. So that was always a possibility as well. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that. And did you find it, was it inspiring? Did you write faster than normal because, you know, you got his chapter back and it, and it inspired you to write something else? Did you enjoy reading each other's twists? How did all that work out? Well, it was actually slower because we had to wait for each other. <laughs> so, um, and also there was a certain amount of, you know, adjustment. Uh, we wanted, we didn't want the voices to be so um completely different from each other the book would feel weird um mm-hmm. and then there was a lot of editing and rejiggering of the timeline um mm-hmm. uh, when you read the story you'll find out that it opens up with the dead young woman um is she is it suicide or is it murder so we open up with them with the death and then we go flashback and we find out how we got to this point um mm-hmm. the metaphor we, we like to use is we come upon a train wreck but then we get to go back and find out how that train got wrecked <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you guys see yourselves having um, more books co-authoring in the future? I know there was a female detective in this one, right? Will it be a series? Um, right now, we're, I think we're both pretty busy with our own individual projects. Exactly. I just, yeah. I, I can't see it happening anytime soon. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> so there wasn't like you know more in the works for now. Not right now, no. Correct, yeah. We both have other irons in a fire right now. And, um, you know, the, as, as Ted said, it took twice as long to do the book. <laughs> so, uh, right. Other things were not even sure. So other things are lined up. So, uh, But it was, it was a great experience. 
I love that. And I wanted to ask you both, um, I'll start with Gary, about your writing journey. Our, our listeners always are always curious about, you know, how writers <laughs> finally first get published. And when I was reading right. your bios, both of you have like a science background. So, Gary, <laughs> were you, did you always secretly want to be a writer? How did you decide, I'm going to write a fiction novel and put it out? <laughs> right. Uh, exactly right, Lisa. I've always wanted to write, but I had uncles who had influenced me uh, to go into science. Uh, one was a chemist, one was a metallurgist, so I went to Worcester Tech and majored in physics. And about my second year, I realized I don't want to spend the rest of my life in a physics lab, even though I had worked at one at, at Raytheon. It was very exotic kind of research. Um, and I was doing a lot of writing in college, and I knew that the only way to to write was to get degrees in English and to teach. You have, you know, three or four months off in the summertime so you can explore your own little passion and talent. And uh, luckily I, I ended up, my, my office mate was Robert B. Parker, uh, the, the international novelist who wrote the Spencer series and the Savarella book. And I watched him write the first four novels because his death was, you know, a few feet away from mine uh, before he became a, a superstar and, and abandoned teaching. Um, and I watched him demystify the process. Um, you know, he'd write four or five pages a day, and at the end of a year, he'd have a you know several hundred page manuscript and send it to, off to the publisher. And um, we were very close friends right until you know uh, his death. Um, and so I figured then, you know, if he could do it, I could do it. And back then, he wasn't he wasn't particularly literary or very famous, um, but I saw him plod through and create just an ingenious uh, material. And when I finally had a storyline, um, I, I went to him for his uh, uh, advice on agenting, and I got an agent from his agent's office and sold the first book, and uh, then others followed suit. But it was really seeing the inspiration of, of Bob Parker that really um, put, the, put the fire in my belly and said, I, I think I can do this. I love that. And did, were yeah. your uncles disappointed when you gave up the science lab? Uh, no, because, you know, the thing is, but I, I have never regretted ever um, ever having a degree in physics. And I, when I got it with Northeastern, um, the, an SOS went out by the, the then chair of the English department that we needed new, new kind of jazzy new courses, as he said, to attract um, non-English majors. So I came up with science fiction. Uh, and uh, that's, I've been teaching that for 40 years. Um, and part of my background, because as a, as a kid I had, read science fiction by the pound. And so when I introduced that course, it was to the chagrin of my colleagues who considered, you know, kitty literature, or kitty litter. Um, and it took off and um, uh, it, was, it was, I still able to use what I had in terms of the science uh, to understand the science and science fiction a little better. Um, and, the, and all the novels I have written with the exception of what Tess and I just did um, have a very strong science element in there, um, maybe meta, biomedical kind of um, uh, component. And so I was able to at least ask questions of professionals in, in Boston, and there are many you know, brilliant medical people and institutions. Um, so I, I knew how to ask questions, and I knew what I didn't know. And so I was able to, you know, um, reach down into my background and understand some of the science of their, of their explanations of the research and the books I wrote. So it, it came in handy. I don't regret it at all. Oh, I love that. And 
I have to say, when I was poking around on your website, I was so impressed because you, one of your books, um, I think it was Tunnel Vision, had a cover quote by Ray Bradbury, and everyone yeah, who listens yeah. knows that <laughs> I owe everything I to Ray Bradbury, so you you really, <laughs> you know your stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, it, uh, that was a, that was a fabulous uh, a, a touch, a Midas touch from him. I mean, he the material I've been teaching and reading a good part of my life, and so that was really a, a great honor. Uh, get a, a, a blurb from Ray Bradbury, yeah. <clears throat> right? Yeah, really, that's exciting. So I'm, now I'm going to ask Tess the same question. Now you were already a practicing doctor, right? <laughs> Did right. you always want to be a writer too? I did. I, I wanted to be a writer when I was a child. I, I wrote my first book when I was seven. Um, and my my father being a very, you know, coming from an immigrant family and uh, being very much in, um, in favor of being able to support yourself, uh, told me that writing was no way to make writing. a living. Um, so he encouraged me to go to medical school, and that's how I ended up being a doctor. It's because I, you know, I sort of absorbed that, that whole immigrant thing about, well, first you have to support yourself. Uh, but then, um, I, you know, I had my first son, and he was very good at sleeping. So I had wonderful two-hour naps in which I would be able to write a page or two. And that's, that's how it all started. That's how I wrote my very first book, when he was, when he was taking his naps. <laughs> yeah, and who knew then that your medical degree would be for book research? <laughs> well, you know, I never knew that at the time. And the funny thing is my, very, my first nine books had no medicine in them. They were romantic suspense oh, really? novels. Because I didn't, oh, you know, I didn't know that. It has to do with whatever profession you're in becomes humdrum to you, and you can't imagine anybody is interested in it. Um, uh, so it was, it was only later that my agent found out that I was a doctor, and she said, why aren't you writing medical thrillers? What's wrong with you? <laughs> so uh, that was my, yeah, my first medical thriller was my 10th novel. Wow. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> And how long? Go ahead. Okay, Lisa. So I have to add to that that you know, Tess and I have been friends for a long time, and I adopted uh, Harvest, which is her first breakout novel, uh, which is a fabulous book, and and she came to class and just wowed the students uh, at least four times. So, um, uh, and her and every every one of the students is absolutely enthralled by the the, the medical research and the knowledge that that Tess puts into her material. So. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it didn't off, seem very didn't <laughs> it's funny because it just didn't seem because it's what you do every day uh right. i think that you know probably um and i there's this and there may be it's apocryphal story but when uh the astronauts but one of the shuttles landed uh the president went out to to greet them and secret service was there and secret service couldn't wait to find out what it was like to be an astronaut and the astronaut said forget us i want to know what it's like to be a secret service agent so we're always interested in the the other guy's job <laughs> that's true yeah the grass is always greener somewhere else right right <laughs> <laughs> so, so I wanted to ask um, Tess, and also Gary, you had a book option for a movie as well, and, but Tess had that TV show, and I was wondering how how exciting was it to see your characters be actual flesh and blood? Was that pretty amazing? 
It's pretty amazing, but I think for a lot of writers, it's, it, writers, it's a, a little disorienting because the, the, the shows almost never cast people that look like we imagined them to be. Um, right. I mean, I imagine Jane Rizzoli to be a re- really ordinary, kind of frumpy female detective, and they cast beautiful Angie Harmon in the role. So you just have to adjust. You have to adjust and you have to, I think you have to keep on writing the books you've always been writing um, and let the show exist in a parallel universe. Um, it was really successful, went for seven seven years, um, but I always focused on the characters that I had created in my books. Right. And it's interesting that you say that because I had um, – we got to interview Kathy Reichs a couple weeks ago, and I was talking to her about the Bones TV show versus, you know, Tempe mm-hmm. in her books. And she said that she had to tell people from the beginning that – you know, there's book Tempe and there's TV Tempe, and they're two different people. <laughs> right, I know, and it's and it's hard for sometimes for readers to to make that to switch back and forth. Um, but hey, the books came first. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still writing that series too, or no? Um, yeah, I have uh, the 13th book in the series is coming out next June. It's called I Know a Secret. And um, it, we just continue with the adventures of that universe of characters, not just Jane and Maura, but now also Jane's mother, who turns out to be a pretty good amateur detective herself. Oh, I love it. So is her mom, like, doing her own cozy mysteries? Well, no, it's not exactly a cozy. <laughs> her, oh, her is her mom, mom is, a police officer also? <laughs> no, her mom is kind of the neighborhood snoop, and um, she sees things from her living room window, and she interprets them in a certain way that nobody believes. So it's, um, what, you know, how far do you go to get your daughter the cop, the cop to believe you? That's It's kind of like every mother's. Every mother's lament. My sons don't. My children don't respect my opinion. Well, that's that's where she's coming from in this story. <laughs> I love it. And uh, Gary, what's next for you? What do you have coming up next? Um, a novel called A Third Cold. Um, it, uh, it it's in, it's about a writer who his uh, his third novel is to be a, a breakout book. And he is absolutely savaged by the New York Times by a reviewer who is trying to, he's a professor, uh, trying to impress his tenure committee and the deans that he is uh, uh, taking up the, the banner for smarter books and saying a book like this dumbs down uh, American readership. And the last line of the review is, do yourself a favor and don't buy the book. And of course, this absolutely shatters the dreams of the, of the would-be writer, and uh, he uh, contracts and events uh, such as this one with you, Lisa, are all terminated, canceled, and he goes after the reviewer. So any oh. novelist who ever got a bad review <laughs> probably <laughs> likely to contact his book. <laughs> for, all the, for all the writers out there, this is your revenge book. <laughs> right, third cold, <laughs> as in revenge. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> so... So, Tess, what do you do to get inspired? Like, are there writers that you love to read that make you go, oh, i got to get back to the keyboard? You know, who who do you like to read or what do you watch to get, you know, inspired to go back to the keyboard? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think that I, I am actually watching more television now than I ever did before because um, series TV, uh, certainly limited series TV, is like watching a novel. Um, and it's I true. love the storytelling that's happening on television these days. So uh, I have to, I mean, 
as, as much and no as I love books, I, I think that a, it's interesting that a lot of novelists, I think, are starting to turn towards TV writing. Oh, okay. Yeah, for like Netflix and all the streaming. Yeah, Netflix, and, uh, yeah. Amazon Prime. I mean, all these streaming services are serving up such great television, and they, I think, mm-hmm. are, are really very, um, it, it, it's very inspiring for any storyteller in any genre. I agree. And, you know, I just recently discovered, um, because now that you stream and there's no commercials and things stay on there forever, but I just discovered uh, Mindhunters on Netflix, and I don't know if you've watched it, but it's like a it's like a series about the two FBI agents who started profiling. So it was, it takes place in the mm-hmm. 1970s and it's fascinating <laughs> watching them realize we've locked up these guys. We need to know how they think. And yeah. so for thriller writers, right, I thought, right, Oh, you right. guys would love this. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really great, <laughs> really great, well done period show. Cause everything is very seventies, but, um, but I agree. There's so many interesting TV now that wouldn't have come out even 10 years ago before streaming services were making their own content, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. right. <laughs> so so what kind of things do you like to watch that, you know, do you watch cop shows? Do you watch, you know? You what? know, I, first of all, I, I, I am addicted to what I call comfort crime shows, which are mostly on British oh. TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, you know, Death in Paradise and uh, Midsummer Murders and Father Brown and so I got into those and um, I th- I think that as I get older, I'm not as excited about really gruesome, graphic, violent crime. Mm-hmm. I'm more interested in the in right. psychological tension, and I think that's where something that takes place in a little English countryside turns out to be just my cup of tea. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> And what about you, Gary? What what inspires well, you to write some more? Well, I, I am writing a book that's about two-thirds done, and it involves an old crime from 18, 19 years ago connected to a contemporary crime. So I am hooked on the unforgotten, um, I think with Olivia Walker. Uh, and it, it's, it's a fabulous show of cold cases, solving cold cases. So I'm really almost studying what they're doing in these scripts and the uh, but if you haven't seen The Unforgotten, it's now in, I think it's fourth season, and it's only six episodes, and, and it's just fabulously uh, pr- produced and just well well scripted and well acted, um, The Unforgotten. Um, and so, so I'm, just, I'm just engrossed in that. And then I, I, also some other shows, too, some of that, that Tess had mentioned, too. But I love the British um, British uh, mysteries uh, that are being streamed. So, uh, But I'm, right now it's The Unforgotten that has got me hooked. Oh well, I'm gonna go look for it. I yeah. love, I love yeah, those. Yeah, check it out. And, it's really well done. Yeah. Yeah, and unsolved mysteries and all that kind of stuff. Those kind of shows are mm-hmm. always fun for me. So, I wanted to ask you guys also about different part. There's different parts of all the different genres have their own little conventions, but I know in thrillers and suspense. Do you always feel like you need to have a dead body, or do you sometimes write a book in between where it's a different kind of crime or or a bomb, or you know have you guys dipped your toes in other kinds of aspects of your genre well i've I've done a lot of different things I've done historical mysteries i've done um a mystery uh, actually it's a mystery about World War two Italy. 
Um, oh. And I'm, right now, I'm and I've done a ghost. I've got a ghost story that happens to have dead bodies in the past. <laughs> oh, I love you know, ghost stories. It's the thing. As we get older, we really realize how much little time, how little time we have left to write the stories that we want to write. And um, I think it's time. This is the perfect time to get off the treadmill in a way and write those stories that you will regret not having written at the end of your life. Right, right. I love that. That's very true. What about you, Gary? I think I've got a dead body in all my novels, or more than one. Um, and I, I think that you know, crime against uh, against possessions, against material objects or money, aren't as interesting to readers as is as is murder. Um, and you know, in solving a crime that involves you know someone's body being you know being deposited someplace, and that, that that's just more frightening. And it's also one where we really want justice to win out. I mean, someone robbing a bank doesn't seem to have that kind of uh, appeal, uh, but but solving solving homicide does. And so I've always had either uh, cold cases or something that recently happened, uh, and, and trying to solve those. And it, it just adds to the kind of um, rational appeal to inviting the, the readership to to help solve the puzzle or maybe try to solve the puzzle, but always being a few steps ahead of them. Right, and when, like you teach, <laughs> it, right, but you teach sci-fi. Do you have a space story, you know, somewhere hiding in a drawer somewhere, or do you have an idea? Are you ever going to write a futuristic kind of thing like that? Um, I, I think, no. Um, mo- most of my novels that involve science are, are, are future-oriented breakthroughs, like, you know, it, it, coming up with a, 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 a compound that extends life or boosts intelligence or is in tunnel vision trying to prove in a laboratory or demonstrate in a laboratory if the afterlife actually exists scientifically. Um, so there are always a few steps ahead of where we are scientifically, but I haven't thought of any alien or, or, or space stories just yet. Um, Not like, yet. I'd rather say <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of scary out there. (laughs) Well, we're rapidly running out of time. So um, just last thing before you guys go, do you enjoy um, communicating with your readers? Are you on Facebook? How can readers get in touch with you? Um, Yeah, I'm on Facebook and on Twitter at Tess Gerritsen. So uh, easy to find me. (laughs) All right. Right. And you, Gary? Uh, you're there. You're everywhere I respond too. To everyone with emails and all. Yes, I I, I love communicating oh, I love with my, my readers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much for being here, you guys. It was so fun talking to you. And great. <laughs> Good luck on the next books. And everybody, run out and grab. Choose me. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.